Hello, and welcome to Seize the GM. If you're looking to get started GMing, we're here to help. And if you're a GM with a few levels under your experience belt, we are here to help you find your prestige class. Let us take you through some common questions, concerns, and the fun challenges that every GM will face. We have our ideas, our opinions, and some might even say answers that we want to share. So pull up a chair, dust off your dice, and let us help you seize the GM. Hey, hey, hey! Welcome back to Seize the GM. Hopefully you can hear us loud and clear. I would think they could, if they're listening. Are you listening out there? You should be, because we are... We are winding up this uh, entire Edenship extravaganza soon. Yeah, we're, we're kind of turning down, turning to the end of this season and, and the amount of time we've spent on the Edenship, which has been a lot of fun. And if you listened along to the previous episode, and if not, stop, go back, listen to it now, we will wait, and go. Alright, so okay. now that you're caught up... <laughs> We are going to talk in this one with actual campaign kind of outlines and ideas that we both have for two different campaign seeds. So, I guess, goodness, we just, I mean, we don't have a, a ton, really. We just have that. Yeah, we're taking... <laughs> what we talked about last time with uh, campaign design and putting it into practice and kind of showing you how that works out. Yes. Yeah, that is a good way to put it. As opposed to what I just said, which was very weird and not altogether coherent. But hey. That's why you keep me around. Ah, is that why? I thought it was the amazing show notes. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't hurt either. <laughs> but... How did you set it up? What what are you thinking about for your campaign ideas? Okay, so this is something that I really wanted to start doing is instead of doing like huge, big, massively long campaign runs that are, you know, two to three years or whatever, I've actually started to kind of dig the idea of doing much shorter term campaigns that are somewhere in the ballpark of like, maybe three to four adventures only and kind of telling a more concise and smaller story arc. So that's kind of where I'm going from with this because that to me seemed like, especially with a kind of a post-apocalyptic setting, I thought it would be cool to, to do stuff that was more, you know, small scale instead of going massive and epic because, you know, it's post-apocalyptic and those massive and epic things aren't necessarily where that shines the best. So that's where I'm going. What about you? Well, I've got a write-up of a... 
kind of campaign idea that I, I pitched and have been building off of previously. It's got, I'd probably say nine to 12 adventures. So that could be anywhere from, you know, a, a brisk nine to 12 sessions to depending on your party and how long you play at a time, you know, a full year worth of campaign. Yeah. Yeah. I also thought about you know how we've talked about Savage Worlds and, and using that as one of the structural bases for the campaign about building it around where those improvements happen in uh, Savage Worlds. And so it's kind of structured to take advantage of the way that uh, mechanically mechanical advancement happens. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So... Now, with this, I know you tagged like your primary themes, and it's kind of funny because where yours are and with what I'm doing, they're almost the same. And I honestly (laughs) didn't even look at what your themes were. Like, I literally just wrote mine with like just this idea. So this means we aren't planning enough in advance to make sure that we cover different (laughs) topics. So that just gives you, our listeners, a sense of the authenticity you are getting. Well, and that's part of this is when you're doing things like this, you have these kinds of, especially with with post-apocalyptic style things, you have a few themes that come to the forefront most often and we've talked about these numerous times throughout this season um scarcity of resources uh moral issues fears of you know what's outside of where you're at or what you know you know so like that fear of the unknown and everything else so those are the big three and, you know, both of ours actually tackle both of those big three in different ways. I'm pretty sure it's in different ways. I would assume it's in different ways. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> well, also, as you described yours being a more contained, uh, kind of tighter arc, mine does get a little bit broader, a little bit bigger. And yeah, so I assume, probably. yeah, I assume we will hit things in slightly different ways. And I kind of uh, gave a preview last time, a couple of hints about what I would do and where I would go with this. So I I am excited to see what people think. Yeah. And how can people tell us these things? Well, they can find us on social. It's quite easy. There are social media out there. We're probably on most of them. You know how to find us. Search for Seize the GM. Go to SeizeTheGM.com for handy links or to find out how to spell all of the names that you're not remembering quite how to spell at this moment. Yep. Yep. Also, we have a Patreon. And we also have a Buy Me a Coffee and a coffee.com. If you want to throw some money at us, which is appreciated, but not necessary. So, let's see here. I guess I can go first. Mine is a little shorter than yours. Yes, and if anyone hadn't caught on yet, Jules is not with us this week. She will return as soon as she is able. Yes. But, in theory, 
She says she's going to have her campaign idea right up as well. So the show notes and the website will have her additional stuff that you can read, even if you don't listen to it. So the way I set this up is I have a beginning, an end, and then I threw a few. The way I generally tend to do it is the middle is a lot more flexible. And the only reason that the end is kind of set is because you to build the beginning, you kind of have to know where the end is, obviously. So, but that middle is, a for me, is more of just, like, these are some ideas of things that could go on and how they're going to, you know, different things that can happen in the, that middle ground between the beginning and the end. Um, and all of those are interdependent on what the PCs do in the beginning as to where that mid area of this short term campaign kind of goes. And one thing that I have seen a lot of people talk about is in these shorter run campaigns that a lot of people like to have like that opening scene be kind of like in media res. And I have a feeling that that is, it started to become a big thing in the late 20 teens where that was like, start a campaign in media res, blah, blah, blah. And I think it's been done so much that it kind of needs to fall away from that. So I kind of wanted to go with something that was a little different. And so what I have is I have a group of people from wherever put together to go in as a uh, stripping unit in the old housing sector. And when they get there, they're in an area that's supposed to kind of be empty except it's really not. And there's a whole group of people that command is kind of left in this area. But why did they do that? And that's kind of where it starts. So they get there and then, you know, whatever, however the players approach all of this will then obviously lead into, you know, all of the shenanigans that are to come. But until you have that, like all of a sudden there's this whole group that no one's even sure how long they've been there because there's no record of them even left. So that's kind of where I start. (laughs) And then for kind of like the mid area, once they've gotten that initial beginning, um, This is where I have a couple of different ideas that I would kind of run through in this part. And the first one is I would probably try to get those characters caught in the middle of a battle between two different groups in this sector of the ship. 
where there's not even supposed to be anyone, but there's two fighting factions, actually. So how long have they actually been here and why? Now, also part of this is they've made contact with at least one of these groups. Maybe they make contact with both of these groups and they decide to try to bring them back into the fold of the main ship. And how they do that is where this can get a little political or, you know, a little... It's kind of a back and forth at this point between how they do it versus how they should do it. And, you know, can they... can? Can either of these factions or both of them come in to the main part of the ship? And if they do, what kind of a resource drag would that be? Or what would they bring to possibly help alleviate some of that resource drag? So that's kind of the middle idea. And then the end is, so... Once they've either gotten them potentially back or one of them back is finding out what happened and why they were forced out into this basically uninhabited area. And so this is where you have, I don't necessarily want to shoehorn like a, this is why, but it could be something as, Small as, you know, like they were the first group to show signs of genetic abnormalities that are becoming more and more common as time has gone on on the ship. And now they're just like, because they had been stuck out there, like nobody in command even remembered that they had been out there. Or maybe command did still know that they were out there or that they had been put out there and that they had just figured, well, they had died off. So that's why they went in there after so many years to try to go in and then harvest all those resources that were there. And why did they do all of this? And why did command lie to people about why they did it? So you can get some political intrigue going as well between command and wherever else characters are from. So that's my campaign idea. Cool. Yeah. I like it. I talked last week for mine about how I tend to think of these in three acts because it, it creates a structure and, and it gives me something to kind of riff off of more easily. Sure. And so act one for this campaign, a small patch of the universe with its themes of scarce resources, moral conundrums and fear of the unknown. Sound familiar yet? <laughs> Act one is a funny thing happened on the way to the reclamation center. These sessions and, and parts of the story are multiple sessions with small beats that set up the larger beats. These are coming off of that intro adventure idea two episodes back and power fluctuations around the ship coming from different sections and, and maybe even accelerating to rolling brownouts. 
and getting the PCs caught in a number of situations that relate to uh, things that happen when there are power fluctuations or brownouts, rescuing people uh, from a disaster when the power frits and there's a construction or transportation uh, unit area that loses power, gangs using protection rackets to try to claim they can prevent the brownouts in certain sectors, retrieving a family or a keepsake from you know part of the ship that was shut off when the solar storm doors slammed down, uh, running emergency power conduits to part of, an, of a habitat cut off or frazzled at the wrong time, or just making sure by going through the exterior or the bulkheads that the gene cradle is still active. Gene cradle? previously mentioned in our uh-huh. Eden ship work. Go back, look uh-huh. it up. And so throughout all of this act, you've got plot threads that are going to start showing up and, and let the PC start putting things into place like these fluctuations aren't completely random. That there are parts of the command sector that know about these brownouts, even if they're not planned or can be stopped, and that there is someone watching their actions. And those are parts that get seeded through a bunch of different sessions, say three, four, five sessions, with all of these little things that kind of start organically and like, oh yeah, there's a brownout, you should do something and save people. And then why are these still happening? Wait, what's going on? And then we go to Act 2, Eden Ship Crusoe. I mentioned this last time, that I like to separate the characters from their familiar resources and and context to make the players work a little harder. So putting them in a remote area, cutting them off from their usual methods. Now, there are two possible ways to do that for Act 2. Either on a planet where they've been sent with one of the recon ships, or in a cutoff section of the base in an unsafe, unprotected area. I'd say the old civil society areas. We talked about them way back when. Either way, characters have to survive a hostile environment. Exploration is going to get played up. And there are going to be challenges for them to deal with, like predators of one kind or another, be they other humans in this cutoff part of the ship, be it alien flora or fauna. You could have scavenged technology, playing into this in the post-apocalyptic setting, kind of driven home. This, especially if I'm doing it on the ship, is where I'm going to make sure um, any characters with relationships to Felix Chin come in. I'm going to try to make sure that anything relating to those kind of smuggling lines comes in. And if you've been stranded, that takes a lot of pull. Yeah. If you've been stranded from a recon ship, that takes an even larger amount of pull. And so this is where these sessions, these kind of plot threads, the players and the characters themselves are going to realize that the threads are coming together. And let them figure out who was behind the stranding that's occurred. Let the players figure out at least one part of the master dastardly plan as we're about to discuss in act three, because that sense of accomplishment of confidence is what will set them 
charging into Act 3 to complete it. Think about the end of Empire Strikes Back. We know what the tasks are ahead of our heroes. We know what has to be done next. We don't know everything, but we know enough, and that's where we are in the overarching structure. So Act 3, the curtain drops. Step 1, find a way back to civilized parts of the Eden ship. Okay. Either from the planet by getting a message out before they're out of range, or using Felix and, and otherwise finding a way back into it. Now, they know they're in hot water. They know they're being watched. Those two things probably work together, which means there should be a sense of paranoia and espionage as they fully kind of pull back the heels here in, in this onion. Now, unlike Zen, here I have a lot looser structure for Act 3 for the finale because I think there are a couple of different options for who could be behind it. And that is something that you should gauge in Act 1 of the campaign for what your characters, what the well, really what your players are being drawn towards. Here's one climax that I've, I came up with, though, just to kind of show you how things we used early on to set the stage can be part of this larger campaign. Prophylaxis phylum has discovered specific power fluctuations are planned and predictable, like a code, but they're not being driven by any human choices in the command sector. One specific concern is that Gaia-A has been corrupted to direct power in ways of communicating with either aliens or subversive Edenship elements. The power spikes are an attempt to disrupt the communication as a code that is still unbroken to attempt to stave off either these subversive elements or, my personal preference, potential alien parasites. <laughs> Over a couple of sessions, the players and the characters have their quandary of whether or not the brownouts are protecting the Eden ship, whether or not the impending work of these parasites, or if we want to go full-on Star Trek TNG, parasites controlling members of a subversive Eden ship faction. Yeah. Best, best dropped plot thread in TV in the last 40 years. Uh, what if they're helping? What if these brownouts, which are being used to disrupt the power fluctuations, are doing a greater good? But remember, we opened up Act 1 with all of the harm and damage and difficulty that they're causing. What are the players going to do? What if the Kiltomoria are an advanced force for these parasites? What do you do when you've already got in a, a, a beachhead, and they've already got a beachhead on the Eden ship, and no one believes you. So here we have combat, we have heists, we have political maneuvering, and a likely epic showdown with whoever the Kiltamoria may be controlling through various fungal means that are trying to stop the Prophylaxis Phylum's brownout plan. The players have to make a choice. They potentially make a nice patron or a sponsor with the prophylaxis phylum, seeing them as someone who knows just enough to be useful, but maybe not enough to get rid of. And they've made themselves heroes on one hand and villains on another, depending on what part of the ship you ask. Nice. I like it. 
And like I said, this could go as short as two to three months, or you could spin this out to the whole year. And that's going to depend on your players. And yeah. it, without you know breaking out specifically, what are these sub-adventures that are going to happen? This builds in espionage, it builds in social and political maneuvering, it builds in exploration, it builds in combat, and it's a way to take a measure of the players, which parts they enjoy. It's a way to make sure they get wins early on in their character development, because they get to figure out things that are happening, and they're going to get to make a choice. They're going to have agency about the future of the Eden ship in your, at your table, because they could decide to try to stop the brownouts instead of the power surges. They could try to stop them both. Uh, in my world's odds are they would fail if they tried to stop them both, and at least one of them would continue. Yeah. But either way, they are going to create part of the texture going forward. And I yeah, think because that... they would have they would have so much agency. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, that's an important yeah. part for this first campaign for any system, any setting. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of this like where I had kind of a see, and mine was still just like okay, command was there, but you know why did they do this? And it's kind of that revelation of what is actually going on and why did it happen in the first place? I stuck the prophylaxis phylum in there to be a gray area from the get-go all the yeah. way back when, where they're going to have to make hard choices about the greater Eden ship and players and characters are going to be able to understand why they've made those choices, but not agree with them or maybe agree that they're making the hard choices. Yeah. I mean, I've been working on this since the beginning of this season, guys. This was an idea that stuck in the back of my head. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of the joy of this is like, because like I, I have been doing a lot of thought on campaign design of recent because I have been running uh, like the beginning kind of adventures in 5e for my daughter and her friend and a couple of other people. And so, like, I've been thinking about, do I want to run something that's super long-term and epic? I mean, it's D&D, so maybe. But then at the same time, this, like, more compact story ideas and looking at how 5e has done campaigns, like, they've been doing even, like, smaller scale for campaigns instead of, like, the 1 to 20 arc. Well, and that's something that we can debate over on our Patreon as a bonus episode about what is a good length, especially for a published adventure. I, I think these are things that are worth discussing. Sure. And I think it is a challenge at a lot of times to feel comfortable starting that first campaign. Yeah. And like Zen said, it could be three to six sessions. It doesn't have to be huge. I built it, I built this idea off of that that first welcome to Eden ship. Here's here's my quick pitch adventure yeah. to show how you can use that same conceit to kind of drag grab people in and get them to come along for the ride. And not be intimidated 
which is part of the 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 point of of even the show like we want people to be able to not feel super intimidated going into GMing because it is just another role at the table that anyone can do it doesn't take like you know a master de- a master's degree in game theory to write a campaign well, it doesn't hurt <laughs> it doesn't hurt but it's not necessary <laughs> you know and that's a thing that a lot of people get hung up on is like well i don't know if i could do you can do it anyone can and that's kind of the joy of it is it doesn't take all of this crazy knowledge it just takes a passion for what you're doing and a desire to ask for help when yeah. you're not sure yeah. and that's the last big part of, of seize the gm is a resource and something that hopefully if you've been listening along to this episode or all of the episodes you feel more comfortable about running those games you feel good about wanting to do those yeah and i just want to say thank you for listening along if you've been there thank you if you're a new listener hey like share subscribe all those things you know that the almighty algorithms require some kind of sacrifice and that's what they're asking these days tell somebody to tell somebody to give a listen share it on social media Find us, tell us what your favorite published campaign is, or if you can fit it into a single tweet or paragraph post, what your favorite home one is. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, too. In the meantime. Yeah. Yeah, well, okay, so with that being said... Let's Jen, go ahead. Yeah, as I was gonna say, before we before we sign off and say <laughs> goodbye, as we traditionally have been doing, yeah. there are our closing remarks, which are really our recommendations uh, for things to enrich your life, your playing, or your game mastering experiences. And Zen, what do you have? So speaking of trying new things, as we were talking about there at the very end, I have actually been looking into starting to play Warhammer. Oh no. We already know you're a mini junkie and a painter. Oh boy. Yeah. Just tell but me it's not tell me it's not 40k. It is. Oh boy. <laughs> it is. I've actually been looking more into 40k than uh Age of Sigma right now. Um but the reason is is that my wife actually showed interest in it before I did. Like she's the one that showed interest in it. And I'm feeding that because I feel like if you want to try something, you have to, you have to try it, especially when it comes to games. So she was like, she, she got looking at, at, you know, 40 K stuff because well, she was actually looking at both and talking to a few of the people that play Warhammer, you know, in our local shop, um, more people played 40K than play Age of Sigmar. It's, yeah, that's pretty normal. And so there was like, 
she was like, well, do I want to do 40K or do I want to do Age of Sigmar where I'll almost never get anybody else to play? And I'm like, well, get a 40K army and, and, you know, and not even just build a whole army, build one of the, uh, what do they call them now? Uh, they call them, uh, goodness. Um, I'm trying to remember what they call them now. Uh, God. They're like, it's not like a strike force or anything like that. They're uh, smaller. They're, let me see here if I can, if I can pull it up, what they call them now. There's like a new term for what they use. Um, they are combat patrols and you can buy basically like a box with enough to get started. And so like we bought her one army or like one of those battle, those combat patrols and, um, when she's done painting her minis, I'm going to basically use a bunch of goblins that I have sitting around. And I'm going to use those as my minis for whatever, you know, thing I want to do. And so, like, I'm basically going to make, like, because I've got a bunch of, like, pre-paints and stuff like that. So I'm going to use a bunch of those to just give me, like, enough points for whatever my army is supposed to be. And then we're going to learn how to play. Basically, doing that and playing like, uh, I think it's called like Kill Zone or something. Um, but it's like uh, Kill Team is what it is. It's just like small tactical things. And she likes tactic tactics games. So it kind of works. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of where I'm going with like my new thing is i'm going to be trying to learn how to play 40k awesome. because learning new things is cool it is so in addition to all the other games that i'm currently trying to read through and learn <laughs> so what have you got well in light of the fact that what we are talking about is campaign design, how to interlock stories, how to build themes, how to create a compelling, emotional, and, and adventurous journey, the Oristaya. I'm, I'm going back to my roots here. Yeah. And the Oristaya is a series of plays by Aeschylus about uh, the House of Atreus. It's considered one of the iconic and archetypal uh, Greek trilogies. It is something that combines a lot of uh, mythology you know and plays into a lot of uh, the myths that move on. It, it's something that is um, a fundamental part of Western narrative traditions. And so if you have any experience with Western narrative traditions, like, let's say, 
movies like Dune, yeah. you might gain a level of understanding about the backstory of Dune or uh, how to tell stories as a game master by reading the Oristaya and letting yourself kind of feel the beats um, in that progression. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. That's really cool. That is one that I don't think of a lot, even though I probably should. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to tell you, you should, because... Right. <laughs> because it's you. Yes. But, <laughs> but no, like, yeah, I, I totally... I never remember those as like, oh yeah, you should totally do these. Like, you should read these more. And I just have been kind of not reading classics lately mainly just because i don't have time more than anything but yeah that's uh that is something that i should seriously consider looking at you should and it's one of the other oh yeah it's one of the other fun things where there's supposed to be a seder play that follows it but this is one of the ones that is absolutely lost yeah um there's like three or four lines that, that we've found and, and has survived. And what best we know is, is that it's possibly about the old man in the sea. Yeah. And that's a whole other thread of stories that you can follow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But with that. I guess we're going to go ahead and call this done. I think so. Thank you for sticking with us out there, wherever and whenever you are listening to this. Come back next time, or just keep binging on to the next episode if you found us sometime in the future. Yeah. But in the meantime... Have fun. Roll some dice. Play lots of games. And we'll see you right back here on Seize the GM. Thanks for checking in. It was a blast sharing our thoughts and ideas on our time. We hope that you had a great time with us and could hardly wait to share the next show. In the meantime, let us know how you handled this topic in your own games. You can find us on most social media platforms, especially Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to follow us, search for Seize the GM. And if you just want to follow one of us, search for our names on the social media platform of your choice, or go to SeizeTheGM.com for convenient links. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted material referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is Once again, thanks to you our listeners. We hope you gained some ideas for your ongoing games. Or the inspiration to run your first. Now get out there and play some games. Roll some dice. Be safe, and you'll hear from us again soon.